that out. Let me help you. Recording in progress. How many of you know that we've been purchased at a price, and so we don't belong to ourselves anymore? Um, it, it will be a continual uh, prayer. It will be a continual um, life that we. It will be a continual sacrifice. Um, we have to continually give our lives to the Lord. It, it's not this once and for all thing. There has been initial beginning time and day where we gave our lives to Christ. Um, however, um, it has to be a continual thing. The Bible says it's a daily. It says um, you know it's a daily sacrifice. Paul says I die daily, and so. That isn't to suggest that there isn't peace, there isn't joy, there isn't rest in Christ. But don't be mistaken that uh, there won't be times where we have to offer up some Isaacs on the altar. Um, but the encouraging thing is, number one, God gives you the power uh, to do what you cannot do in yourself. And number two is that there's always a reward that is accompanied in this life and the life to come for every sacrifice that you render to God. Amen. Hallelujah. The Bible says that um, given to the Lord and he shall repay. That's what it says in Proverbs. Well, I think the correct term is lend unto the Lord and he shall repay. And sacrifice, see the thing, the Bible says in Psalms that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And uh, by the way, um, it's not just a thousand hills because he owns a cattle on every single hill. It's just a specific, it has a, it has an importance to that number from Jewish thought. Um, but he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, so he doesn't need anything. So the fact that he would command us to give something, okay, is, is suggestive of not what he needs, but rather what he needs to get to you. And what he needs to get to you is locked up behind your sacrifice. See, see, there are some things that you won't have or you won't get or you would not have had in your life now if it wasn't for your sacrifice. Because sometimes we, we think that the, the answer is behind this thing or is behind that thing or is behind... Me keeping, you know, for example, let's suppose, you know, you have a rinky-dink car that's jacked up and is barely getting by. And suppose the Lord did say to sacrifice your car and give it to someone less fortunate to you. See, God is trying to get you something better, but it's locked up. Be the, the getting the better blessing, getting the better thing is locked up behind your obedience. And it isn't until you obey and sacrifice that he will get you to point B. But see, some doors remain closed is because we won't open door A. In order to get to door B, we have to open door A. See, the thing about sacrifice is it's a seed that we sow. And, and when we sow a seed in sacrifice, it produces fruit, right? And so, um, it it is an indicate it, it is telling to God that basically He is our provider. That we are not trusting in these things which we sacrifice. 
Amen. So when you sacrifice, see, this is why, you know, it's unfortunate for people who begin getting jobs and getting, you know, start going to school and then they start uh, 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 leaving prayer meetings. They, they don't, they, they no longer pray with, with the group is they, 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 they bless themselves. And, 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 and the reason, the reason why is because of this is they reason this way. I don't have all the time in the world. I got to study for my exams. God knows I got to study for my exams. I can't pray with everybody. So I'm not going to sacrifice this time to prayer. What I'm going to do is keep this time for myself and use it because Lord knows I got to study for my exams. Right? And let me let me just say that's demonic reasoning. That's demonic rationale. Because while it may seem harmless, this is what the Lord says to the people in Haggai. He says, would you give that to your governor? You're, you, let, you never fail to pay taxes to your governor. Ever. Every time you purchase something, a tax. Every time you purchase something, a tax. You never fail to pay your governor. And it's always the first fruits of your money. And yet, we can't give the Lord the first fruits of our time. Y'all see? You don't have to say, Amen, I know it's Bible, it's the word of the Lord. We have to sacrifice our time in prayer, and, and God is going to test us. God is going to test us. You know, so that's why sometimes y'all have to wake up, you know, if the Lord wakes you up at night, you have to pray. Like, not all the time, sometimes, you know, your neighbors were loud or something like that, but, but many times the Lord is beckoning you to come to him and to offer unto him your time to pray your time uh to seek his face right um amen, amen somebody or are y'all mad you prepared to throw stones or something um <coughs> yeah so um don't don't fall into that trap you know like for example, with, with the with the job that I just got, I made I made it very clear to the superintendent or the principal. I said, I thank you for the job. I do. But I said, there's one thing I won't budge on. And who am I as someone receiving a job to make demands on the individual? On the superintendent. I said, I have a prayer meeting in the morning every week and I won't compromise that time. And you know what he said? We will make accommodations. What do you need? <laughs> Amen. Can somebody say trust the Lord? Right? And I'm not I'm not trying to elevate myself. Uh, I, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make a point is where is our trust at? Is our trust in oh I'm a, I'm going to keep this little bit of time for myself cuz God knows I need the extra money. I'll miss out on prayer meeting. I'll miss I'll miss out on that stuff, or you know, oh, you know, my uh, a girl that I like invited me out for a date, and it's right next to a bar. Sorry, Jesus, I ain't gonna pray. I'm not even gonna see. I'm not even gonna seek you to see if this is a girl I should be dating. Never mind me asking whether this guy 
I'm just captivated by how handsome he is. I'll forget the prayer stuff. Right? Anyways, you know, David, he always inquired of the Lord. He, he sought God before he even went out to war. And this is a warrior. He could have easily relied on his military might and strength, and yet he didn't. He sought the face of God. And your life will be no greater than to the degree that you seek the face of God, even before very appealing invitations. You know, there's been times where I got invited to speak places and stuff, or do this in ministry, and just because it's for the name of God, I don't assume that God wants me to do it. I pray. I ask God, is, is this a door from you? If not, I don't want to enter it. Amen, somebody. Amen. <clears throat> and so I, I want us to um, <clears throat> come to pray. I want to ask for our undivided attention as we go before the Lord. I want us to um, ask Him for His blessing uh, this this gathering. Um, so, Father, we come before you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. I come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would speak to your people this day. Father, I pray that you would grant me unction by the Holy Ghost. I pray that you would speak to my heart in order to speak to your people, O Lord. Father, I pray that we would not have a proud countenance. I pray that we would not be resistant to your word. I pray that we would not be like the Israelites who were stiff-necked and stubborn. Father, grant us, O Lord, a heart of humility. Father, I pray that you would reform our ways, reform our thinking, correct our behavior, correct our attitudes by your double-edged sword that divides both soul and spirit and is the discerner of the heart and nothing in all of creation is hidden from the side of whom we must give account. And Father, I pray, God, that our lives, Father, would be examined by the pure administration of your word. Father, I pray that even now that your spirit would come and dwell in the midst, O Lord, dwell in the midst of your people, tabernacle among your people, O God. May your presence be felt and may the power of another world, Lord, intrude our gathering and be sensed. Father, may we be a spiritual people. Develop, O oh Lord, to be a spiritual breed of people and not to be overcome, Father, by the flesh. May we not be mere religious people who offer you our lip service, Father, but whose lives look no different than the world. Father, may we be characterized by holiness and purity and passion and love and unity and the conviction of the truth that is rooted, O oh Lord, in your word. Father, I pray, O oh God, that you would do something today that is of eternal worth, that is of eternal significance, and I pray, God, that nothing that we're doing on this side of eternity would be anything less of those things which were worth Christ dying for. May you have the full rewards of your sufferings. And Father, I pray that we will not dodge your word or rationalize your word, Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would build us up in the most holy faith. 
Father, build us up. And God, I ask that if, if, if it is necessary that you would even discipline us. For those whom you love, you discipline. And as many as you receive as children, those you rebuke. But Father, I pray those that are faint of heart, or that you would comfort the afflicted, but to also afflict the comfortable. God, I pray that nothing would die in us that should live and nothing live in us that should die. And so, Father, bless us by your word and give me unction of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. <coughs> you know, Ian Bounds said that one of the greatest reasons for passionlessness in the pew is for passionlessness in the pulpit. And I think one of the greatest tragedies in the church is prayerlessness in the pulpit. Is that there is no model of, of, what, of what to look to. And instead of men of prayer, we have men of jokes. Men who introduce comical um, you know, ideas. They're, they're comedy figures. They introduce clowning. And I don't say this to be ugly. I don't say this to be obnoxious. I'm saying it because it's, it really is a tragedy. Um, uh, men, unfortunately, in the church are lighter than feathers. And there is no sense of, of another world upon, upon the men of God. Um, and that, that, is, that is terrible. And that, that ought not to be the case. Paul made it very clear when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God that is at work in you who believe. Right? So um, we, we ought to hear we ought to hear God. Right? And 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 <clears throat> some you see, sometimes you may even question yourself because you, you will go to a church and you're like, why why am I not ever hearing anything? Well, one, you know, we do go through seasons sometimes. And sometimes it may be due to the fact that God is silent. And he's wanting you to press in. Or number two, you're dead. You're dead in sin. And not dead to sin. And you can't hear anything. Or number three is that the man of God, well, he's a man of the people and not a man of God. Because he, he don't get his messages from God. And so therefore has nothing to give to the people. Amen. <clears throat> but with that said, I, I want us to turn to uh, the book of James. One thing I hope that you all get from these gatherings is that you would come to hear God, but also come to learn the Bible. See, I, I'm, a, I'm a Pentecostal or a charismatic and... You know, I'm not big on labels. I, I really don't even know what I am these days. I'm some form of hybrid, I guess. I don't really f fit in very much anywhere. Um, but I think it's largely because I just believe the Bible. Um, but I, I say as a Pentecostal, as a charismatic and Pentecostal, all I mean by that is someone who continues to believe in the gifts. Believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in praying in tongues. I mean, we pray in tongues every Wednesday. I believe in prophesying and 
healing. I, I believe in that, casting out demons and so on and so forth. But the unfortunate thing that I have seen among Pentecostal churches is that, you know, uh, like uh, 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 Bishop Veron Ash once said, he says, prophets know what God is saying, but don't know what he has said. And what he meant by that is they're often very gifted in prophecy, but they don't know the word of prophecy. They can't tell you what this book says. Amen. Um, so, <clears throat> all right, Brother Linus, thank you for letting us know. We love you, man, and you have a, you have a great day. <clears throat> but we, and so with that said, is I want us to hear from the Lord, but I also want us to come to learn this book better. And let me let me say this, and this may not be you know something that you're particularly excited about because it doesn't make for a great sermon. Um, but let me just at, give you a little bit of uh, of a learning lesson. Sometimes you know, there's different styles of preaching, and there's different methods of preaching. Maybe you have noticed it. Maybe you haven't. But to give you some insight on as to what those differences are, one of those diff, one of the types of preaching is what's called topical, and this is very common among the latte pastors. They'll have their latte with their little flip flops, with their white shorts, looking like you know their shirt tucked in like they're about to go golfing or something. <laughs> they're very common in America, and they look like you're. Uh, middle-aged dude still trying to be relevant like he just came out of high school you know <laughs> but they'll pick a topic and they'll have their series like in advance like six months in advance and but they'll have their topic and they're like I want to speak about this so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take verses from the Bible to support that and while it, it may even be a biblical sermon but it's not going verse by verse looking at what the Bible is actually saying and there's a big difference because instead of saying I want to talk about this topic we're going to go instead to to the Bible and say what does the Bible want to say to us you see the big difference there and so you're not just learning more I'm not saying that topical sermons are bad to select a topic I'm not saying that's bad but I'm saying you won't fully come to understand the book you're reading. Because you need to learn more than just a topic. You need to learn the Bible. And you can even use the Bible to support the topic and not necessarily come to a greater understanding of the very book. <coughs> FYI, that's what Bible means. Ton Biblion in the Greek, it means the book. Um, which isn't necessarily accurate because it's should be the books because there's 66 of them but nonetheless let us turn to James chapter 1 verse 2 and um, let, let us read it says consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance now let us stop there <coughs> y'all following it says consider it pure joy and so this tells us that there is a level of consideration that you have to give in other words to put it another way to say 
when you are met with um, trials of many kinds, do not be inconsiderate. If I'm inconsiderate of your pain, I'm not taking the pain into account. If I'm inconsiderate of this, or maybe you're inconsiderate of the fact that you're speaking to your mom and not to your friend, and that's going to show in the way that you're not relating to her properly. Okay, so we have to be considerate of this thing. What is he telling us to be considerate of? He says, considerate pure joy. Right, so consideration involves an intentional, uh, it involves your will, it involves attentionality from your mind. That you are, you are intent upon this one thing. I have to consider this pure joy. Okay, is that y'all following? In other words, you don't just stumble into a trial and say, ha ha, this is pure joy. I have to use this here. I have to uh, get into the spirit and I have to mold my will and bend it to where I am now considering it pure joy when otherwise I would consider this complete devastation or consider this you know terrible now what i'm not advocating for what i'm not saying is this because some people take this to the extreme and they have a um you know very religious form of christianity as if trials are delightful in themselves right they're not delightful in themselves Paul didn't say he he didn't why in other words <clears throat> if Paul considered trials delightful in themselves he would not have prayed for his thorn to be removed he had sought the Lord three times for that now I'm not going to get into what exactly that thorn was um, but I would remind you that the the thorn is at See when you have when you come across terms like you have to understand that we can't take our 21st century western mindset or even eastern mindset and and then read it into the text. That term is called eisegesis. And the reason why it's called eisegesis it comes from the the preposition the Greek preposition ace that means into. And so to do eisegesis is to read into the text the term exegesis, the prefix in the word exegesis, is the Greek preposition ex, where we get the word exit from, and it means to draw out from. So instead of reading into the Bible, we have to allow the Bible to draw out of its meaning, using the Bible. In order to understand the Bible, you have to use the Bible. Is that clear? And so... When we come across the word thorn, we have to ask ourselves, where else in the Bible is the word thorn mentioned? And we see it's mentioned in Joshua. We see that it's mentioned in the law. And God says, if you fail to drive these people out from the land, they will be thorns in your side. Okay, so in other words, there's nothing you can do about it at this point. They're here to stay. And so for whatever, whatever it was, Paul had a thorn and it was going to stay and God did not remove it okay now that isn't a trial although it is a form of suffering that Paul had to endure but Paul wasn't 
delightful in the suffering. He says, but he says, but so that the power of Christ may rest on me, I will be delightful in the suffering, not for the suffering. Does that make sense? Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> in other words, the reason way the the way you can be delightful in suffering and not for it, or delightful in a trial and not for it. And by the way, suffering and trial are not necessarily the same thing. Okay? Persecution, tribulation, all of these are different terms that have different meanings. So you can't read trial and immediately conclude from that uh, persecution. Here we're reading about trials, not persecution. Now, persecution may be a trial. But a trial is not persecution necessarily. A trial may be you are, uh, um, you are, you have bills, and God told you to give X amount of money. That's a trial. Your faith is being tested. Are you going to trust Mammon or are you going to trust God? Y'all following? Amen. Somebody. <laughs> Do I need? A <laughs> Start preaching like T.D. Jakes <laughs> to get you all hyped up. <laughs> Do I need to start doing all that? <laughs> or you guys need coffee? Or you guys, or what is it? Or am I preaching to cessationists, Mormons, or I'm just messing with you? I'm not trying to insult you guys. I'm just, I'm just fooling around. Um, <clears throat> but he's saying consider it pure joy. So. The trial itself is, isn't the joy, but we can consider it for other reasons because our joy is in God. Our joy is, our delight is in Him who is unchanging. Right? Amen. And, and therefore, our joy is not circumstantial, it's not situational. Right? Because whether good or bad times, our joy can't ultimately come from the times or from the situation, but must come from God. Because God is unchanging and situations change. And if, if our joys are, are rooted in the things, not to say that they don't bring us delight, you know, that good times do bring a sense of happiness, but there is a separation between temporal happiness, which isn't ungodly, and pure, enduring, everlasting joy. Amen? Amen. And Paul told us that he was always sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He didn't say always sorrowful and always happy, because that's a contradiction. You can't be sorrowful and happy. But you can be sorrowful and joyful. But he says, consider pure joys, my brothers and sisters. So he's speaking to this specific audience, to the family of Christ. The world can't, sit, can't consider it pure joy. <clears throat> the world has no joy. Jesus says, he says that, um, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be to the full. Yours, not the world's. 
You know, how easily we forget that the Lord has taken us from the land of Egypt. And we begin to gripe and complain and, and moan and, you know, uh, uh, you know, everything else. But, you know, there's a world that's on the verge of suicide and are desperate for the thing that you and I now have. Right? They're on the verge of suicide, blowing their brains out, you know, st sticking themselves with heroin needles and smoking dope and, you know, and the list goes on. You know, we've we, we seen in the chat, you know, one of y'all posted, uh, yeah, these poor girls, man, they're being trafficked and they're being pimped out and prostituted and they're walking the streets at night, these young girls, and they're crying. Right? They don't want to be there. Amen. And what? It's difficult because the Holy Ghost told you to pray? That don't make sense. The Lord is inviting you to the wells of living water. And we find difficulty. To go to the wells that hold water. But Jeremiah says, my people have committed two evils. They've hewn out for them own selves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And isn't that the way of the world? They're, they're, they're hewning out for themselves cisterns that cannot hold any water. In other words, they keep drinking of, 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 of uh, contaminated waters and, and it's never enough. It's never quenching their thirst. Oh, but the manifest presence of God is on our lives. He filled us with the Holy Ghost and gave us a joy, a hope that we shall not pass into condemnation and death. And ought not we to have joy in our hearts? Amen. Come on, somebody. Y'all can talk back. We ain't no, you know, uh, uh, dead people. The Bible says that there should be a triumph, a clap of joy you know a, a a triumphant voice unto the lord the greatest thing in all of history christ has provided for you and it's the exemption from death we shall not pass into death but shall obtain everlasting life amen amen <coughs> But it says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And so that indicates that there are many kinds of trials. There isn't just one kind. There's many kinds of trials. You know, there's uh, many different kinds of flavors to maybe, you know, a lollipop or many different kinds of, you know, this, you know, this type of food or well, there's diff many kinds of trials. And you have to be educated in all of them. You have to obtain an education and graduate from these trials. If not, you're going to continue to go through the same one and again and again and again until you graduate. Amen. Amen, somebody? 
See, so, some some of y'all are wondering why you are still single because you haven't graduated some trials yet. In fact, it may even be the case that God hasn't introduced you to that trial just that you haven't even entered the class. Amen. See, the Lord tests us. See, Abraham had gone through a trial when he offered up Isaac on the altar. Was he going to believe in the God of the resurrection? See, you, you say no to a particular sister, or you say no to a particular man might be your trial. Amen. Are you going to trust in the God who's a God even unto the lonely? Or are you going to trust yourself to make this stuff happen for your life? <clears throat> right? Or, or, or are we, are we going to listen to him who knows all? Or are we going to listen to our own heads? See, it's a difficult thing to be a spiritual person. It's easy to be religious. You can just talk Christianese. Use the Christian vocabulary. You know, and post your favorite, you know, preacher. And, you know, just, it's easy. But it's difficult to be spiritual. You know, some, some you know, some dude the other day, you know, comment on me because you know he posted a story, and you know so, some some might suspect that what I, even what I'm saying here is, isn't biblical. I mean, Paul name dropped, you know, in his letters he said, "Watch out for so and so." You know, he's a he's a no good. You know, he you know this and this and that. Well, anyways, I I, I sent something in some dude's story, and then he 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 literally reacted. He didn't even respond to the text, the verse that I sent him. He says, you wolf, this and this. And I'm like, yo, what the heck? And I said, you don't know Jesus, bro. Like, you're religious. You, you, you don't know God like you ought. Because you don't know how to bridle your tongue. You're a religious man. And um, people don't like that. Because what, what's in you that causes you to attack me if I send you a verse? What's in you? What's controlling you? What spirit is speaking to you? The Holy Spirit's going to get mad at his own word? That doesn't make sense. Y'all can say amen. The Holy Spirit isn't going to get mad at his own word. And so at the very least, you, one can say, well, at least the brother meant well, because I didn't come at him sideways and come, you know, come at him. You know, I just said, hey, man, um, you took this passage out of context and I sent him a verse to add, you know, further clarification. And see that that's how you know you're spiritual or you're just religious. Either you react or you respond. Amen. <clears throat> but it says because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It doesn't say faith produces perseverance doesn't say that it says the testing of your faith produces perseverance it if I don't have a race to put forth my strength 
then what do I have to endure? Does that make sense? Y'all, y'all here? Let me know. Let me know if you guys are here because I, I, I want to make sure y'all are following. Okay, so the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Okay, faith itself doesn't produce perseverance. Um, because perseverance means that you are continuing, you are enduring something. Okay, so imagine faith represents strength. And, um, and the trial represent the testing of that strength represents a race. Right? So unless I go through a race, my strength can't be tested. My my speed can't be tested. If I say, yeah, man, I'm the I'm sure y'all met them in like elementary school. They'll boast and I'm like, man, I'm the fastest. You know, this and this and that. Ain't nobody got any nobody got anything on me, right? Man, I'll knock that fool out and all this stuff. Like all that language, right? I'm sure you guys are very ego-driven guys. You know, or even girls or, you know. And and they're like, all right, well, won't you fight that dude then? They're like, nah, I'll catch him on the rebound. <laughs> well, how do we know that you're, how, how do we know you know how to fight unless you're tested? Right? There's no form that we can measure you by. There's no standard. Right? You know, one of the things when I was younger, I used to skate, and uh, you know, I I always, you know, I, I would sometimes uh, ride my skateboard to school, and uh, you know, some some guy, you know, some kid would be like, "Man, let me try this trick, man, I'm good," you know, and this and this and that, and then I'm like, hit, you know, hit a kickflip or do this trick, and then like he's, ah, oh, I could do that, and would fail on the trick, you know, like, I ain't got the right shoes on. <laughs> Oh, you're going to blame it on the shoes. (laughs) Like, bro, that's lame. Don't don't say that. You you just suck. (laughs) But the point that I'm making is that your faith can't be tested unless... Yeah, your faith can't be tested unless you go through a trial. You have to go through a trial. Okay, so it says, let, uh, and it says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And Paul says this in Romans 5, it says, it says, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Right? And so some of us are lacking in character because we haven't persevered. You know, one of the things I was talking to a younger brother uh, the other day, you know, he's 18 years old and uh, he just freshly saved. Um, he hasn't been saved very long, just on fire. And uh, one of the things he was telling me, he said, <clears throat> he said, I can't understand why people don't feel as passionately as I do about winning souls. And, and sometimes I question whether they're saved. I said, I understand how that feels. Like, that's how I used to think when I was younger. I said, but God will temper your zeal. He'll temper it. 
and he will bring you through a lot of uh, trials to to shape and mold your character, and you'll begin you'll become far much more sympathetic. And I, and I, what I was saying is, it's not that you're wrong in, in having a zeal, <clears throat> but a zeal that's untested by the sufferings of life and being exposed to man's frailty and weakness and uh, sin at times and their brokenness without being exposed to any of that uh, you you run the risk of being a butcher with the word and not a skilled physician with a scalpel Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> and um Yes. And the Bible says that the high priest in the Old Testament was able to have compassion upon the wayward because it says he himself was encompassed with sin and therefore offered up sacrifices for his own sin and then for the sins of the people. It says, but Jesus, having been tempted in all points like we, was without sin, but was not unable to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Was not unable to be, he wasn't unable to empathize for our suffering or our pain. And a minister who doesn't know how to empathize for the sufferings of men is an incompetent minister that is going to do damage to people. Is going to hurt people. Because it's not that the message can be correct for person A and person B, minister A, minister B, but one is tempered by brokenness and can identify with the traumas, the, the hurt of his hearers, of his audience. And so sometimes people don't necessarily need to know something. They just need to know that you care. Amen, brother. So, <clears throat> um, so continuing forward, uh, verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So in other words, you have to continue to persevere and allow it to have its its complete work. Right? Not lacking anything. If you don't allow perseverance to have its work, you know, it. I don't know if you all remember, like, I remember playing video games, and, and sometimes I used to play video games with very uh, competitive, uh, you know, friends. And when I was winning, they would turn off the game console. Like what the heck? Because <laughs> they didn't want to lose, and they knew that I was. And and the point that I'm making is, is um, if you don't allow how perseverance to have its perfect work, it's like turning the game console off. Then you have to go right back to the beginning. Amen, somebody. And so verse uh. Uh, five it says if any of you lack wisdom you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you <coughs> you know um, 
Unfortunately, we ask everybody else, but we don't ask God. Um, God is an afterthought. God isn't the first person that we seek. He isn't the one that we go to. He, he, he isn't the one that we run to most often. We go to everything else other than Him. And the Bible says that if you're lacking wisdom, you need to ask God. Right? Because here, James, wisdom isn't just knowledge and the application of knowledge or some form of insight. It's not only that, it's, it's moral behavior, it's character. Because an unwise man will do immoral things. So why do you think in the book of Proverbs, in the 5th chapter, in the 6th chapter, it's warning against fornication? It's warning against sexual immorality. Because wisdom isn't separated from the way that we live. It's not just something that's lodged in my mind. It translates to how I actually live. Right? So some of us, the reason why we're continually in a rut is because, or we're not graduating these trials, is because we're not wise. We are still lacking in wisdom. And we need to obtain that wisdom in order to graduate those trials. Amen. Those testings of faith. Amen. So, it says right here um, that we ask God. Now, I, I want to Real quickly, turn to, I want us to keep our, our uh, mark there in James chapter 1 verse 5. But I also want to turn to Proverbs chapter 8. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8 to give us an indication of what wisdom looks like. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 8 verse 10. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 10 through 18. It says, Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. Real quickly, you have an option to choose from God what is more valuable than silver and gold. What's more valuable than crypto. What's more valuable than American dollars. You have an option to obtain that from God Therefore, why do we not seek after the wisdom of God more than we do the, the things of the world? Even valid things, things that you need. Because those who pursue and run after money, who are unwise, will no sooner after they get that money will lose it. Amen. So, <clears throat> choose, uh, it says, verse 11, For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. So, in other words, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, is elevating wisdom above the currency of this world, above the riches of this world. 
and says, get this thing that we call wisdom. It says, verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. Prudence is the ability to foresee danger, to act discreetly and wisely in advance before things occur. So the, the, the unwise are not like that. They just fall headlong into stuff. They're just like a bobblehead. They don't, they don't have a, you know anything up there in there. You know, it, it's just a lot of empty space. Amen, somebody. Hope none of us here in this group are bobbleheads. Amen. <clears throat> um, say amen if you're not a bobblehead. Stay quiet if you are. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, so verse 12, I wisdom to uh, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. Discretion means you're, you, to be discreet means you're able to see subtle differences. It's not a huge difference. It's subtle um, now, just because it's subtle and small doesn't mean that it's not a huge deal. Um, <clears throat> how can I give an example? Um, sometimes under discerning subtle differences will be life, a uh, life or death situation. You know, you know those women that uh, are captivated by um, traffickers? You know how they give subtle clues that they're being trafficked? If you can't discern that, that will cost her her life. Amen. Be discreet. Be discerning. Doesn't, doesn't John the Beloved, the Apostle, say, discern the spirits? Test the spirits. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot that think they're like scientists when it comes to discerning spirits, and they they suck at it. <laughs> and they call the imposters the genuine, and they call the genuine imposters. You know, um, they're normally the people that don't like to to listen to anybody. And um, anyways, verse 13, the fear of the Lord, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's a beginning of wisdom, but there's an end to it as well. You can't even become, you can't even begin to become wise until you acknowledge this one point. I must revere the Lord. Amen. And this is why, you know, pastors that go behind the pulpit that are so flippant about, about the word of God, they treat it as some trivial thing. And all they, they, they're like clowns behind the pulpit. I can tell those men don't revere the Lord because there's no sense of sobriety of mind that there's no sense of, man, I'm handling the eternal word of God. When, when they, when they pray, they, 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 they talk as if they're talking to a homeboy. Or some, you know, some, uh, you know, some friend that they can be so casual with. 
No. We're talking to the king of kings. He's our father, right? But him being our father should not create familiarity with him. It should create confidence and comfort. But he's also a king that is to be revered. Amen, somebody. He's not even just some earthly king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the God of heaven and earth. Approach him with reverence and honor and dignity and majesty. You know, people can say that's judgmental. You know, it's just... It's just, I know that I know God. And I know how I relate to Him. I know how He relates to me. There's times for hours I've spent on my face weeping in His presence. No one can argue me out of knowing that I know God. And so when I see men that treat God so trivially, I know that they don't revere Him. Amen. I'm not saying being terrified of God. The fact that he's your father encourages us that we have strength and comfort and, 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 um, and hope in our relationship with him. But there, there's also the facet that he is a king. And then he, he deserves to be, he's worthy of reverence. It's like revering your father. It's like, um, you know, my boy. I play with him. We, we, you know, I play with him and we joke and stuff. But he reveres me, so he knows that there are certain things he can't tell his dad. He can tell his friend that, but he can't tell dad that, right? Because there's an element of reverence. And um, it's for a lack of reverence, those kids say whatever the heck they want. <laughs> Check their mouths. You slap them across the mouth if you have to. Hey, you know, I'm old school, man. The Bible says if you spare the rod, you spare the child. I don't know what we're learning today. You know, we're learning. We're not even giving out time timeouts today. We're rewarding foolishness. Hey, you, you lost that football. Hey, you get a trophy too. Good job. No, no good job. You need to work harder at this stuff. We're losing our kids to this trash in the world, man. So influenced by the ways of the world and we don't even realize it. And when I say correct your child and even use physical discipline, that isn't the first resort. That's the last resort. They need to be instructed with the admonition of the Lord. Wisdom. Teach them. And if they continue to persist in rebellion, then comes correction. But even with the correction, the disciplinary action, you explain to them why. And you don't do it out of anger. You say, I'm doing this, and here's the reason why. And you explain to them. They're not a punching bag for your frustration. Well, slap your neighbor and tell your neighbor. You don't want God to treat you that way. Don't treat your children that way. 
Oh, but it's the way that I was raised. So? The way that we're raised isn't the standard for truth. The standard for truth is the Word of God. Because what happens is those kids don't even know how to express their feelings because they're just suppressed. They don't even know how to express their feelings. Now, I understand that maybe that's what happened to us. And it's easier to stay there. But just because it's easier doesn't mean that God doesn't call us out of it. And he empowers us to, to learn from him. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me. Don't be like the mule that will not be governed without bridle. Don't be like a mule. <clears throat> um... It says here, it says, uh, uh, verse 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Do we hate evil? Do we hate it? Now, for those of us who hate evil, do we love righteousness? Because there's many a street preacher that, that goes out and just rails on wickedness. You wicked this, you wicked person, you this. And they, 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 they love that they hate wickedness. But I want to know, do you love compassion? Do you love righteousness? Do you love, do you love that? Or you're just known for all that you stand against? What are you for? Like, we know what you're against, but what are you standing for? Okay? But it says to hate uh, evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign. Rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, prisoners govern and nobles, all who rule on the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. You want to know how you're walking in, in wisdom? Is you're reigning. You're not, you're not the tail. That your life is a life of honor. Your life is a life of prosperity. You know, the wicked, while they may have riches, they're not prosperous. Because prosperous isn't just a financial thing. Although it includes finances, prosperity also includes prosperity of the soul. That's why John says, I wish that your body prosper as well as your soul. That your body prospers as well as your soul. So you, you can have an absence of prosperity of soul and that's why you, you, you're, 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 you're unsatisfied. Because God isn't the portion of your heart. God isn't satisfying your soul. That like David says in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord all my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name and forget not all of his benefits. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving kindness crowns it's an honor to be crowned with his loving kindness but it says this verse 35 in chapter 8 
For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord, but those who fail to find me uh, uh, fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Those who are lacking in wisdom are are living in a perpetual self harm. Because if you're wise, you're not living a life of harm to yourself. If you fail to obtain wisdom, you only harm yourself. It says, all who hate me love death. And now if you turn to James chapter 3, we'll be coming to a close here shortly. (coughs) But James chapter 3 verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So James is saying that wisdom involves good deeds, right? Humility. So he says, show it by their good life. So our life is not to be bad. It says you have to show it with deeds done in humility because you can do good deeds and do it in pride. You can do good deeds to be seen. You can do be do good deeds just to be applauded. You can be like the Pharisee says, "I tithe all that I have," and and but he he says, "But I thank thee, O God." And the Bible says in Luke eighteen that he was only praying to himself. He really wasn't praying to God. He says, "I thank thee, O God, that you haven't made me like these extortioners and this even like this corrupt tax collector." Right. But it says, what did the tax collector, it says he smiled his breast, couldn't even look up to heaven. It says, oh God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. He didn't have time to even look at the next guy. All he could be concerned about was himself and the poverty of his own heart. And it says, thus Jesus spoke this parable, he says, to them who were righteous in themselves and had showed contempt for others. In other words, you, 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 you have hatred towards others. You can hate the sin and still not hate the person. And now let me say this. That doesn't mean that you have to like the person. That doesn't mean that you have to feel comfortable around the person. Right? Y'all here? Amen, somebody? Amen. 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 <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and humility. I've said this quote many times before. Humility is not to think less of yourself, but it's to think of yourself less. You know those people that a lot of those Calvinists, woe is me, woe is me, I'm a worm. I feel like saying, shut up, dude, come on, man, let's just, <laughs> woe is me. You know you don't feel like that. It's just, it's just a front. You know, it sounds real spiritual, even when they use King James. I remember some, some years back, I was at a prayer meeting, and this dude, like, no lie, was literally praying in King James. He was saying, we thank thee, O thou majestic, you know, and <laughs> I was like, bro, just stop, dude, stop. 
<laughs> I was like, there's no point. You know, you're just going to confuse people. Like, what? This dude time travel or something? <laughs> How'd this dude get here? <laughs> uh, but, <clears throat> you know, humility... Humility knows how to submit. Humility knows, you know, um, humility knows how to be quiet. You know, you know, a lot, a lot of the guys who, who like to argue with me on social media and they're like, oh, you're wrong, this, this, and that. And like now I used to just go back and forth, back and forth and... And I'm not saying I don't comment at all, but then after a couple of comments, it's, you're right, you're right. Or someone says, God told me that your doctrine is false. Well, who can argue with that? You're right. I mean, God told you, bro. <laughs> I'm going to get into it. You're right. How do you argue against that? That's what the Mormons say. Right? So, humility. <clears throat> you know, um, are, are we humble? I, I'm not looking for a show of hands, but are we humble? Ask yourself. Amen. How do you feel when someone is an authority tells you something? Do you get bent out of shape? Do you get mad? Do you get angry? What about your boss? Hey, I need you to do this. Man, but you don't understand. Right? That's not humility. Start highlighting all the passage, all the verses that it's hard for you to obey. And you'll see how how Amen. how there's a lack of humility. Amen. <laughs> um, how about um, how about when you're uh, you know. Um, let me put it this way. How do we feel if our children say no to what we say? Don't feel good. We don't like it. So what do you think about those who are in positions of authority, like your boss? Or maybe if, you know, if you're still a minor, what your parents thought of, or maybe when you were a minor, what your parents thought of when you kept back-talking them. Amen, somebody? Amen. Humility. Humility doesn't fight. Humility doesn't fight with authority. Humility doesn't fight with that. You know, or or how about, uh, you know, let me just throw it out there. And then, you know, I, I don't mean to, you know, say this in, you know, any ugly way. But how would you feel if I if I corrected you? Not just here in the group. That's easier because we get to hide behind the numbers. 
but personally and say you know you're, you're off here in this area and uh, you know and not being ugly not being proud not being obnoxious I get nobody likes that but in a loving way okay and so can we still maintain humility or what if I were to say hey uh, you know um, the word of God says this um, hey you got to change right it doesn't feel good but humility 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 when you submit see submission people think submission is agreement that's not that's not what submission is you when they're in the UFC do you think they're tapping out because they want to submission begins where agreement ends Amen. That's how you can know Amen. whether you're humble or not. Not oh man, hey, that sounds like a great idea. Absolutely, sign me in. That's not humility. Humility is when you don't get what you want, when you're not told what you want to hear, and you can still say, Amen. The word of God says what it says, I'm gonna follow through. So <coughs> um it says this, verse 14, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. See, those who are lacking in humility have a lot of selfish ambition. They're more ambitious for self than they are for God. It says, look at, look at what it says, verse 15, Such, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly unspiritual demonic for where you have envy and selfish ambition there you find disorder in every evil practice so it's saying that this sort this sort of wisdom is demonic we don't like that though do we like let me put it this way brothers and sisters you are being influenced by a demon. Right? You know, I remember when I was in, in the juvenile hall and I'll go preach to the kids in there. And, you know, this you know, one of the you know, one of the gang members, he's like, Oh man, you know, this and this and that, you know, he's uh he's talking about his enemies, and he's all man, you know. It's on site with my enemies, this and this and that. You know, I'll never roll with an enemy, this and this and that. I said, you believe in the devil? So, yeah. I said, why are you rolling with him? Oh, nah, man, it ain't like that. When you say no to God, that's what you're doing. There's no neutral ground. It's either the devil or it's God. And so when we don't choose the ways of wisdom and humility, we're choosing demonic wisdom and we're being influenced by the ways of the devil. I don't care how you slice it. I don't care how you dice it. I don't care how you mix it up. I don't care how you prepare the meal. You're still using the same ingredients. Amen. And in case you don't think Christians could get demon-possessed, think again. See, 
people that that's not even the correct word demon possessed that's not there in the greek it's the word demonize and it means to be influenced by a demon now that doesn't mean that you know you're just going to stumble like oh man i got possessed you know it it is through a perpetual habitual giving yourself to the enemy that a foothold becomes a stronghold And, and just as if the process of sanctification and becoming more holy didn't occur overnight, the promise of the, of the process of demonization occurs also through a period of time. Okay? And so, now does that even mean that you'll manifest like that, you know? You know, like, ah, you know, like exorcist sort of stuff. No, you know, uh, demonization can begin to occur when a spirit of heaviness won't leave you. Where all, you keep feeling depressed and depressed. And, that's not the Holy Ghost. I don't care what these, uh, you know, these whitewashed uh, uh, American evangelical pastors are trying to tell you. You just need to see a clinical psychologist. The heck with that. No, it's a demon in trying to get you to fall away from God and not to believe that he's your joy. You can say what you want about the brain, this and this and that. I know there are rare circumstances where there's chemical imbalances and stuff like that. But for the most part, do not underestimate that demons are after you trying to draw you away from God, trying to make your life hell on earth. Amen. Do, do a track record. When did the uh, uh, the depression occur? When did the heaviness occur? When did that stuff? That doesn't come from an angel. It don't come from the Holy Ghost. And it don't come from the flesh. There is a spiritual thing that is occurring. When did it begin occurring? Let me guess. Right after you sinned a horrible sin. You feel unclean. You feel dirty. You feel unworthless. You feel all of that stuff. Right? Amen. I'm not and now now let me say this too, just so I don't you know unnecessarily terrify anybody. So when I say demonized, there is a process when, when you know see those people like on exorcists and stuff, those are people that are fully given unto a demon. I'm not saying it's going to look like that. But the spirit of heaviness, there's already a demon that's oppressing you. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> and, and so, um, when we get delivered, you know, how do you know you're delivered? When you feel a release in your spirit and you feel light. Once the Holy Ghost lifted something off of you, that's a form of deliverance. Amen. You know, like you may have been feeling so, so bogged down by a spirit of heaviness. And then you get prayed for and boom, it's gone. It's like, man. I feel so much lighter. I feel so much better. Praise the Lord. 
because a devil, the a demon was attacking you. And so, um, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy, selfish ambition, there you have find disorder in every evil practice. But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Okay, so now let us turn back to James chapter 1 as we're continuing forward. Uh, it says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So when you're not walking in wisdom... You have a double mind. You're unstable. I'm sure you've met some of those people, even Christians, unstable. Never can stay committed. Never. Just wishy-washy. Their yeses are noes and their noes are yeses. And their maybes are yeses and their, or they might be a no or it might be a maybe. <laughs> no, man. Let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. Just do it. Like Nike. Just do it. Stop fooling around. Just do it. Stop going based off your emotions. Just do it. Amen. Amen. Like some of them are like, should I eat this box of cereal today or should I eat this one? <laughs> should I... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I've heard people do stuff like that. I remember, like some years back, there was these there was these Christians. They're like, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, told them to do this and that, and you know, it's just, um, it, it's just like, no, it, it, the Holy Spirit isn't speaking to you every single second of the day. Do you know that? He's not. He doesn't do that. He speaks when he needs to, and he don't have to say much. He can just tell you one word, stop. Okay, so, um, let's just read uh, verse 12. It says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So if you persevere, the Bible says you will obtain the crown of life. And let, let me say this. Amen. And I, I don't want to, you know, really, you know, make us afraid. But I say this just so that we can be aware. The Bible says, only they that endure to the end shall be saved. It says that he that draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. That's what the Bible says. It says it in Hebrews. It says, he that draws back, shrinks back, my soul will have no delight in him. The Bible says that we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. It says, exhort one another daily, 
insomuch as you see the day approaching, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold to the steadfastness of our confidence firm unto the end. So we have to be steadfast and we have to persevere to the end. If we do, we shall obtain the crown of life. If we don't, our souls will shrink back and the Lord will have no pleasure in us. Amen. Um, yes. Is that clear? It's, it's a serious thing, man. It's a serious thing. Amen. I can already tell when people are shrinking back. You know when you're shrinking back is you're losing your appetite for prayer. You're losing your appetite for the Word of God. You're losing your appetite. You're losing consistency. You're so nonchalant about uh, praying. You're so you're just so whatever about it. I'm not saying that you have fully backslidden, but I'm saying the process of shrinking back is already occurring. Amen. You're losing your zeal. You're losing your fire. You're losing it. And so I, I want to say this as a as a as a man of God, as one who the Lord has called to, you know, the the ministry. Like, don't get bent out of shape if I if I point something out and say, Hey, I think you're shrinking back. I think you're losing your fire. Because the Bible says in Hebrews thirteen, verse seventeen, it says, In fact, let's go there real quick, just so that you know I'm not making stuff up. Because I want to ground you guys in the word and just, I don't want anybody to accuse me. Oh, that's just your own thoughts. Okay, because I, I, I'm basing everything in the authority of the word. Nothing less, nothing more. Hebrews 13, verse 17. <clears throat> it says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Okay, so... People say, trust no man. Man, tr don't, man, don't trust anybody. It sounds real good. Like, and like Tupac. Man, Tupac was one of my favorite rappers. Only God can judge me. Um, no. <laughs> it's not true. The church can judge you. Paul says, who am I to have to do anything with outsiders? He says, are we not to judge the ones in the church? And what he meant by that when he says we, he didn't say you, the Corinthians. He says we, the ministers, are the ones to judge the church. He says this in 1 Corinthians, and he says, Purge out the evil from among you. He's quoting from Deuteronomy, and the context in Deuteronomy speaks about stoning people. Now, we don't stone people today. We excommunicate them from church if they continue to persist in sin. And so the fulfillment of stoning, there's a difference, right? We don't stone people anymore. We excommunicate. But both involve judgments that are made. You have to judge to see if the person is guilty in both cases. The way you deal with it from the Old and New Testament differed, but the, but the judgment is still the same. You exercise judgment. Now, I, I say that because have confidence... Now, here's the thing. You don't have confidence in people 
that have, you don't have trust in those who are untrustworthy. Because one of the qualifications for an elder or a leader in 1 Timothy says they must be trustworthy. So obviously you don't trust someone who's untrustworthy, but someone who's qualified as one who has uh, can be trustworthy. You have confidence in them. Now, it says submit to their authority. It says because they keep watch over you. Now the word over or watch, it, it comes, you know, it, it's, a, it's a word that's used to make up the word overseer in the Greek. Episkopos. Epi is the prefix. It means about, around, or concerning. And skopos is where we get the English word scope. So it means they are able to see around you, over you, and about you. Does that make sense? To have overview, oversight, right? Amen, somebody? Or, um, Amen. <coughs> um, go ahead, brother. You have a question? Yeah, I was asking which offices are exactly the overseer. Well, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they all exercise oversight. Um, so um, that's why right here in Hebrews 13 it says, have confidence in your leaders, right? So anybody that in that fivefold ministry in Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, are exercising oversight. Okay, so it, it can be any one of those five or all five of them. Um, uh-huh. So... Yes, it's it's any one of those five. They they all exercise oversight. Um, but it says, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. So God will have them give an account for how they discipled, how they watched over you. So, uh, hey man, I, I'm I'm I have I'm not pulling any punches. I don't have anything to hide. Why do I reach out to some of y'all? Why do I stay in contact? Even if it's just like, hey, how are you doing? Or, you know, it may not be long. Because, you know, I I, I trying to do the best that I can to make sure that, uh, you know, stay connected to some degree or form. Right? Amen. And, and because what, what, what good is it if... You or just stay in darkness, and some of y'all may not like that. It might might feel like a pester, like man, man. Maybe you just got through sinning or something. And here he is again asking. <laughs> but I'll say this: it's not a bad thing. It's a bad thing when you're not asked about. You know, Amen. you know, the sign of God's judgment wasn't when they were, rebu- were rebuked by prophets. The sign of God's judgment is when the mouths of the prophets were silent. God just didn't say anything anymore because he gave you up to your wicked ways. Amen. That's scary. So if you still hear, if you still hear uh, the, the, the voice of a minister be encouraged because it's a sign that God hasn't given you over to your sin. 
Okay, so that's why, you know, the apostles, when judgment was on this particular country, they wiped their hands clean, wiped the dust off their feet, and they moved forward. It says it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day than those who rejected the gospel. But it says right here, it says, must give an account, do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So it doesn't benefit you. If And so I, I want to ask that you all be kind and not be a burden. <laughs> and I, I'm, not being, I'm not saying that to be insulting. You know, it's just the text says it. And so I want to be honoring to the text. And um, Amen. <laughs> so, you know, and, and it, it helps. Amen. It helps. It does. And... Um, you know, um, it's not about control. It's not about control. It's about oversight. And at the end of the day, my brothers and sisters, you get to do whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. And I think sometimes people don't really realize that until it's said to them. Because it's like, okay, go ahead, do what you want. But do we really want that? Do we really, at the end of the day, does the spirit man really want to do what we want to do? And the wise person says, no, I don't. I don't because I know there's consequences. I want to be spared from those consequences. Okay? And um, so 